The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really happy to have you with us. Uh, And Ashley is kind of more like along the lines of really with me today because I am it today. I do not have a guest. I'd like to talk with you a little bit about something that some of you find really fascinating and others of you, eh, not so much so. But, you know, honestly, everybody sort of has a different taste for what it is that they want to know about breasts and breastfeeding and lactation. And so I think that I would like to start, as they said in The Sound of Music, I'd like to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. And so very often I find myself talking about breastfeeding and lactation, and I realize that some people think that those two things are the same. They are not. Breastfeeding is the act of putting the baby to breast and getting the baby to eat there. That is breastfeeding. Lactation is the fluid that comes out of the mammary gland. It, or maybe more precisely, it is the secretion that comes out of the mammary gland. And of course, you all know that a mammary gland is the breast. So I want to start there, and then along the same lines, I want to help you to understand, this is like a really tiddly-winky little thing here, but the words suck and suckling are actually a little bit different. I tend to use them a little bit interchangeably, but not entirely interchangeably. Let me explain why. A baby who is breastfeeding is suckling with an L, suckling. A baby who is bottle feeding is sucking. Now, I know when I'm going fast, I do tend to talk about babies who are sucking. But, yeah, and I I think that's probably more or less okay. But most certainly, a baby who is bottle feeding is not suckling. He is sucking. The whole mechanism for how a baby gets the food out of the mother's nipple and breast is very different than how the baby gets the milk out of the bottle and the artificial nipple. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. So I just wanted to set you straight on that. And what I'd like to talk about really today are the stages of breast development 
as well as what the breast secretes and lactation. So I'm going to talk about the breast, the act of breastfeeding in the sense of, um, well, not so much so, actually. I, I should correct myself. I should really say it's really more about lactation with the understanding that lactation is really the third in a series. It's really lactogenesis 1, lactogenesis 2, and lactogenesis 3. And if you're sitting there saying, Marie, I really don't care about what we call these things, like how is this important? Well, I think that as I go through, what you'll be able to see is how the breast develops, that the breast begins developing when you, the mother, when you were a tiny little embryo, inside of your own mother's body. And I'm going to give you just a little brief history on that because it's kind of boring. But I really want to bring that back to how it shakes out for you as the breastfeeding mother. And I hope that I'll be able to make that connection for you. Again, for some people, this is pretty fascinating. For some people, it's like, wow, I didn't know that. And other people, it's like, okay, yeah, well, next topic. So anyway, I try to bring something for everybody. I want to start then with the stages of breast development. You are born with a breast. It may not be a functioning breast. It may be not even a visible breast. But there are five basic stages of development of the mammary gland. And as I implied, the first one begins during the stage when you yourself are a little bitty embryo. And then the next time that your breast has a substantial development, you probably remember when you were maybe in your early teens or your tweens, as they like to say, tweens, uh, 10, 11, somewhere around in there, you probably got what in my day we called development, okay? She's starting to develop, and everybody knew that if somebody was starting to develop, what they really meant was she's starting to get breasts big enough to put a bra on. That's what that is. So that's the second stage. And the third stage is lactogenesis, and then lactation, and finally, involution. So I'll buzz by those five stages again. It's embryogenesis, when you yourself were a little bitty embryo inside of your mommy, The second stage is pubertal development. Please notice that those first two stages have only to do with the breast. And if you never become substantially pregnant, you won't get get to any of the other three phases. Okay? And by substantially pregnant, I mean more than your first uh, trimester or so. So let's say that you do get pregnant. Let's say that you do make it into that late phase, early, uh, late phase of the first trimester, early phase of the second trimester. You get to basically lactogenesis and then lactation and finally the breast involutes. You get to involution. So then, let's start back with what is embryogenesis. Actually, there are these little bitty buds that happen when the growing fetus 
is about 18 to 19 weeks in utero. And then this bud kind of extends into a mammary fat pad, but the ducts, yeah, the ducts are there, but they're kind of at a like a dead end, okay? The ductal extension doesn't happen until you become a teenager. And when you become a teenager, that's when you are, as I said, developing. Now, we don't entirely understand all of the hormones behind this. We don't entirely understand why some young women develop sooner than others. But this is the basic idea. So, after you are born, or should I say after you were born, these little small branching ducts kind of grow out and, and you kind of have those as a child. But then you move into pubertal development. Now, pubertal development occurs before and after the onset of menses, the first time you get your period. So early on in puberty, because of the onset of menses, the hormonal regulation occurs primarily through estrogen and the growth hormone and the the bare ducts actually kind of just come zooming right through the fat. And later in puberty, with the onset of the menses and the ovulatory cycles, then the progesterone that is present during the luteal phase, that is the end phase of your periods, okay, appears to create some sort of a development of both the lobes and the, I want to say the alveoli, but if you don't know what an alveoli is, an, an alveoli is the smallest cell that is involved in the milk-making process. That's a flaky definition, but I think you get where I'm going. Okay, so you've probably noticed this yourself. As you've had periods, you know that when it's sort of towards the last week or so, just before your period, your breasts feel very full or very, um, um, I wouldn't say painful, but they are perhaps a little uh, uncomfortable. That's because of that whole influence of the progesterone. Okay? Estrogen, progesterone, and possibly prolactin are the primary hormones that influence the growth of the mammary ducts. The internal development that occurs within the glands, um, this is actually visible externally then as the breast becomes larger. The breast is never fully developed until, until when? Until it lactates. Why would that be? Oh, you folks, you've heard me say this so many times. You know where I'm going to go with this. You know I'm going to say that the mammary gland is so important that our entire species, uh, not species, but um, uh, the entire class was named after the mammary gland. The mammary gland is important to survival of the species. And so hence... Uh, the reason that the breast is not fully developed until it lactates is because, really, the breast was built for lactation. The built, the, the, contrary to what you see in the ads on uh, the media, the breast was really not built for show. 
Okay? It wasn't built for pretty. It wasn't built for, uh, uh, what do I want to say, visual purposes. It was built for the functionality. So in the beginning, then, you've got the embryogenesis, and then you have got the pubertal development, but the breast is never really fully developed until you lactate. I think I've done a reasonably good job of explaining a little bit about how this comes about. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about lactogenesis 1 and lactogenesis 2. If you're pregnant, don't miss this part because this is probably where you are right now. I'd also just like to make a comment here, especially for any of you who are out there who are professionals or maybe you're paraprofessionals or maybe you just wish you could become a professional. I'd like to let you know that I will be hosting a series of um they're short webinars and they're free. I will be giving them at least twice a month for uh, usually during the beginning of the year. And then it's uh, at least once a month, sort of as the spring and the summer go through. And then I start again with every one to two times. So these are available at least once a month, possibly twice a month. I would encourage you to join. It is free, F-R-E-E, if you are interested in pursuing a career in lactation. If you'd like to sign up, please call my office. I'm at 703-787-9894. I will repeat the phone number if you want to sign up for my free webinar, and that is 703-787-9894. That doesn't, don't call me about the radio station for that. That's a different number, okay? Let us know. We are here to help. We would love to invite you to come along for our free webinar. Okay, then. Uh, When we come back, I will talk to you about lactogenesis. I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this short break. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional bankers hours. Today, banking is 24/7. It's in the home, it's on the go, it's digital. 
Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed on the Voice America Network. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Today, I'm talking about what really amounts to the development and the uh, functionality, if you will, of the breast and lactation. In the first segment, I made the differentiation between breasts, breastfeeding, and lactation. So during the first segment, we talked about development of the breast. And now I'm going to talk about how lactation actually comes about. Especially for those of you who are pregnant, I think that you'll find this very, very interesting. And you should sort of try to think about where you are as I'm talking about how this happens. First, I'm going to address lactogenesis. All right, and you might know even that the word lact, or I should say the prefix lact, means milk, and genesis could be defined as growth. So it's a little bit lumpy, but the idea here is the growth of how the milk happens. If you look at the work of Margaret Neville, I am pretty sure that this is her definition. She says that lactogenesis is the process by which the mammary gland develops the capacity to secrete milk. She doesn't say it actually does secrete the milk. It, de- it develops the capacity to secrete milk. And that capacity I'm going to talk about in a minute. Lactogenesis occurs in two stages, and it's referred to as lactogenesis stage one and lactogenesis stage two. Now, during pregnancy, there are profound hormonal changes that prepare the breast for lactation. You've got your luteal and placental hormones that are responsible for, you know, really a a pretty major increase in the ductal sprouting and branching and the ducts, of course, are what carry the milk around, just as you might expect. If it was, um, it, it's a channel, basically. And then there is the lobular formation, the formation of the lobes. Now, what is a lobe? Well, a lobe is a round thing. And there are round things in our brain and round things in our lungs and round things other places. Here we're talking about the round things that are in our in our breasts. Now, if you have gotten to the stage of the game where you realize that your breasts feel fuller during pregnancy, you're starting to realize that the breast, excuse me, the bra that you're wearing doesn't fit, 
Hello. That's because you're getting that ductular sprouting, branching, and lobular formation. It is the placental lactogen, the prolactin, and the chorionic gonadotropin that especially contribute to the growth of the breasts. The final stage of mammary growth and differentiation are accomplished primarily by progesterone, okay? And prolactin or human placental lactogen is probably also involved, but primarily the idea here is for the progesterone. And because you've got these high levels of the progesterone, secretion of the milk does not occur. So, somebody says, wait, Marie, back up a minute. I'm not really sure I got that. Okay. Remember that a few minutes ago, I said that when you look at Margaret Neville's definition, she says the breast has the, the develops the capacity to secrete milk. All right. That's because you're getting these, these cells, these ducts, these lobes that are growing, so that's sort of the capacity, but the, but the milk doesn't actually come out. Why? Because it is the progesterone level that is elevated, and that's what's holding it back. So lactogenesis stage one begins around the middle of pregnancy. You read different things from different authors. You're going to find, so I usually just say kind of right around the middle there somewhere. And at this point, so, so let me back up. A, a typical pregnancy is 40 weeks gestation. So if you are in the 20 weeks gestation, I am neighborhood, I am definitely talking to you. I'm probably even talking to people less than that, but I am definitely talking to people at least 20 weeks and before that. Again, you know, you read different authors that tell you different things. I usually say middle of pregnancy, it's easy for people to remember. And structurally, the ducts and the lobes become bigger because of the influence of the hormones. And functionally, the gland becomes able to do the secretion, but there's only really just like a, they, usually most authors will call it a colostrum-like substance. And although the gland should be able to secrete the milk, it doesn't because of those hormones that are being synthesized. Now at birth, and even before birth, Mothers secrete colostrum. Thereafter, they secrete transitional milk. And these secretions are usually presumed to define that period called lactogenesis stage one. However, if you look at Neville's work, and by the way, I think it would be fair to say that Dr. Margaret Neville is probably the world's foremost authority on the anatomy and physiology of lactation. I think that would probably be a fair statement. Um, Neville points out that the terms colostrum and transitional milk, I quote, do not define clear-cut temporal changes in milk compositions and are therefore not distinctions. Okay, so rather than it's the change in milk compositions that occur postpartum that should be viewed as part of a continuum. And in that continuum, there are rapid changes in composition that occur during really the first four days postpartum. 
and, and certainly thereafter. But it's really that rapid uh, change that occurs in the first four days postpartum, followed by slow changes in various components of the milk throughout the course of lactation. Now, Dr. Neville specifies a starting time for lactogenesis 1, but she doesn't really give a firm timeline for exactly when it ends or for when lactogenesis stage 2 begins or ends. So, you know, you read different authors, they'll tell you some different things, but I'm giving you what I think is a, a pretty reasonable understanding here. But lactogenesis 2 is the onset of the copious milk secretion that occurs during the first four days postpartum. So if you're feeling a little confused, I hope that what you understood me to say a few minutes ago was there I was talking about colostrum and transitional milk. Here I'm talking about lactogenesis stage 2, and those are two different things. And she says that lactogenesis stage 2 is the onset of copious milk secretion that occurs during the first four days postpartum. Now, many of us, by the way, would call that the milk coming in. The onset of a copious milk secretion is attributable to the dramatic changes that occur after the placenta is delivered. How so? Well, because the body thinks, hey, the placenta is out, so must be the baby is out, so I'm in a different stage here. And during the first four days or so after birth, progesterone levels fall sharply, but they do not reach the levels that are seen in non-pregnant women for several days. Prolactin levels, however, remain high, and levels of estradiol, which is actually the most potent naturally occurring estrogen, along with progesterone and prolactin, uh, are also there. This is usually referred to as the coming in of milk. Now, I know some people, I have some really good friends and colleagues who object to the word milk coming in because they feel that that implies that somehow the milk wasn't there beforehand. Uh, I do see their point. Uh, I I would just say, though, that 99.9% of the people that I run into it in a day call it milk coming in, so I call it milk coming in. All right, now technically, the measurement of maternal volume of milk may be different from what the uh, baby takes in, that is what the baby consumed. But nonetheless, studies that measure milk volume have been done by test weighing the baby before and after. And what you'll see here is that milk does transfer to the newborn very, very much so. And especially by the time you hit about... it. It does. I mean, it transfers immediately, but it's it's quite remarkable and noticeable by the time that you hit about 36 hours postpartum, and it continues to increase for about those next 48 hours. And if you are postpartum right now, you know that this is when you feel like you've got these really full breasts on the front of your body. Okay, and during that time, what you will see is that the composition of milk also changes. And that's probably more biochemistry than what you care to know. But that's the idea, is that the the composition of the milk becomes different, which is why you feel different, which is why the milk looks different. Now, sometimes lactogenesis can be delayed. I think, again, this is a little bit controversial, but in general, the, the, the things that I hear sort of the most is, 
that that the delay can occur because of placental retention, and I believe all authors agree about that. I, that that's a pretty firm one. Caesarean birth, oh dear, sort of yes, sort of no. I gave a whole show on caesarean birth and whether or not milk is actually delayed, so I don't really see that as a yes or a no. Diabetes is another one. If you will read some studies, they will tell you that you will have some delay in uh, the lactogenesis if you're a diabetic. Other studies say no, that those uh, the studies that say that aren't really right, and so you can go with whatever you want. Uh, there, uh, another one might be if you've had a very prolonged second stage labor. And then, of course, there's all of the stuff with whether or not you have given formula supplementation. Any of those kinds of things are going to play into it. So that's basically what goes on with lactogenesis in pregnancy and shortly thereafter. When we come back, I will be talking about lactation. I'm Marie Biancuzo with Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this short break. Do you or someone you love struggle with Alzheimer's disease or some other disorder? Many times, there is not an adequate support forum where you can learn from and discuss topics from top guest experts. Tune in to NeuroMatters, The Brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Although thought of as a disease that affects only older individuals, increasingly, symptoms are being found in people who are in their 40s and 50s. Get the answers. NeuroMatters airs live Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuzo. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm talking today 
about breasts, the development of breasts, and how it is not exactly breastfeeding, and how lactation is actually the process of milk secretion. And that it is a little bit different from breastfeeding in the sense that breastfeeding is when the baby is up to the breast, opening his mouth, closing his mouth, and getting food. That is not lactation. What I'm really focused on today is just lactation and the breast. So it's like a little bit of a mini physiology lecture here, a little bit of a mini anatomy lesson. By the way, I have to tell you that sometimes somebody told me just a while ago, I went to a a class that was designed for parents and it spent an hour talking about anatomy. And I said, oh, well, okay, that's great if you've got the time. And if you're interested, that's really great. But that's probably not how I would organize my time if I were if I only had one hour to spend with parents. Lucky for me, I've got an hour every single week. So I can go into this in more detail. Okay, so we left off with sort of the pregnancy piece and the immediately thereafter piece And the first four days or so. So now I'm going to move into sort of the regular lactation, if you will. If you look at the definition of lactation, and again, I'm going to go back to the work of Dr. Margaret Neville. She defines lactation as the process of milk secretion and is prolonged as long as milk is removed from the gland on a regular basis. So, established lactation is regulated primarily by prolactin, that's a hormone, and also by the other hormone, oxytocin. Now, heaven knows, our bodies are regulated by many, many hormones all day long, and we need all of those hormones in order to function and certainly in order to lactate. But the two main hormones that you've heard me talk about the most and you will continue to hear me talk about is prolactin and oxytocin. Uh, This is throughout lactation, and these two hormones are secreted in response to suckling. And that I think I would add here that in addition to the systemic hormonal regulation of milk, which is absolutely true, okay, the hormones do have a regulatory effect. However, volume of milk also sort of appears, I'm picking my words carefully here, uh, to be regulated locally by the removal of milk. Now, actually, it's not quite as simple as I'm making it sound. It really has to do with FIL, which is the feedback inhibitor of lactation. And that is not exactly a hormone, but it's close to a hormone. And I don't know if you really want to go into all that. What I really want you to understand here is how important it is to remove the milk in order to refill the milk in the ducts. So... Volume of milk, believe it or not, is remarkably similar among women, although it does vary during the course of lactation. Ever wonder how much milk you produce? Here you go. American mothers produce about 500 to 600 milliliters per day during the first two weeks. And depending on which author you read, about 700, 750, 800 milliliters something like that, by more or less the end of the month or by uh, 
and, and thereafter, which is up to six months or so. So again, depends on which author you read, but I usually, uh, you know, honestly, I'm really not very good, good at math, and I figured nobody else is either. So I usually tell women, plan to produce about 600 milliliters by the end of the week if you have a normal, healthy, suckling baby, okay? Not so if you've got a sick baby or a preterm baby or whatever, okay? And then by the end of the month, Round figures, consider yourself to be making about one, uh, excuse me, about 800 milliliters of milk. If memory serves me correctly, I believe that it's 946 milliliters in a quart. Oh, and I'm so aware that I'm talking to people who know the metric system better than I do, but um, 800 would be then more like about three quarters of a quart, thereabouts, in a day. Okay. So, people also ask me the other questions. Well, what about if the mother is particularly old or if the mother is particularly young? Does that matter? Um, It appears not. It seems that the age of the mother doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the effect of the volume of milk that she produces. And I know that there were, at one point, some concerns about if you had started your lactation after 24 years old that you wouldn't have enough milk, but actually... I am unaware that that has ever been proven. I think that was just sort of one of those things floating around. And I can tell you that I know women who have certainly been more than 24 after their uh, first pregnancy, and they produce plenty of milk. I'm thinking of one picture of one little guy that I got just a day or two ago. Man, he is a fat, really poly little kid, and his mother is a little bit more than one month postpartum, and she's more than 30 years old. I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you hear that myth, it's a myth, okay? You know how I am. I'm busting the myths. So then, the other end of the spectrum is, what about the mother who is particularly young? Um it doesn't seem to be a problem. Teenage mothers produce enough milk to satisfy their infants. And I will tell you, from having worked labor and delivery many years, I always say those girls who are teenagers are biologically built to fly those babies out. They tend to do better than the um, the women who are older. They just have more energy, more strength. So I believe in survival of the species. They are very much built for it. Now, here's another one that comes up. What about, does it depend on how many babies I've had, how much volume of milk that I've got? Uh, Don't know. There is really mixed evidence on that. So I really don't want to comment on that. What I really want to say is I think that there is a major piece that's very difficult to take out of that research. And let me tell you what that is. The woman who is having her second baby has more confidence in herself, and she understands the baby's cues much better. And so I don't know. I mean, unless we put mothers in a research study where they were just in a bubble and never had any different experiences, I don't know that we're ever going to get the straight scoop on that. What I will tell you is I have seen plenty of mothers having their first baby who produce plenty of milk and plenty of women who have had seven or eight or ten or I'm trying to think um, I think I have managed a woman who was grabbed at a fifth, 
15. Yes, that's the highest I've ever gone. A woman having her 15th baby, and she had plenty of milk. So I think that you should be absolutely confident that you will have enough milk. You might not be aware that milk volume varies diurnally. And what do I mean by that? I mean from night to day. The greater volume of milk is generally in the morning. Milk volume peaks between eh, about 8 o'clock and about noon, somewhere around in there. Milk volume can be greater on one breast than on the other. I think that's probably more baby-related, but sometimes some women have a little more storage capacity in one than in the other. I would say that if you are breastfeeding your baby at the breast, I wouldn't be at all concerned if you had a different amount of volume on one side than on the other. If you are pumping, I would be interested in that. Let me put it that way. I would be vigilant. Then I would be wondering if your pump was working well, if you were holding it well, if your flange size was the right size. And if you had a big difference between the right and the left and you were pumping, then I would wonder. But if you've got a suckling baby, I actually, I would be fine. I wouldn't give it a second thought. Now, uh, many people think of lactation as originating in the breast and being concerned only with milk, but actually there are multiple sites involved in the process of lactation, most notably the pituitary gland, and the effects of lactation permeate the woman's being, including her fertility and her behavior. So one of the things that I just want to talk about just a teeny bit before we go to the break is lactational amenorrhea. I can't get into this too deeply because, as you might remember, I did a show, I'm pretty sure that it was in September 2013, where I had Miriam Labach, Dr. Miriam Labach, who is unquestionably the one of the most well-renowned physicians who has been involved in lactational amenorrhea for Oh, I don't know, decades for as long as I've known Miriam Labach. And basically, this lactational amenorrhea is related to the fact that the woman is less fertile when she is breastfeeding. And I know that many people say, oh, well, you know, lactational amenorrhea, what do you call parents who don't do blah, 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 blah. I would not say that breastfeeding has a contraceptive effect. I would not say that. But I would say that breastfeeding, if it is exclusively breastfeeding, And if the baby is less than six months old, and if the baby is breastfeeding around the clock, and if the mother has not had her menses, it absolutely will suppress fertility, and it absolutely will influence child spacing. There was a fabulous study that was done by the World Health Organization some years ago. I'm thinking like, uh, I'm thinking it was in the early like 2001 or two or something like that. And it will prove to you what I'm saying. I'm not just making this up, okay? I'm getting this from studies. So anyway, that's probably as much as you want to hear about with that right now. I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed. When we come back, we'll be talking about a little bit more about volume. And I will also then address involution and a few myths that are floating around about lactation. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this short break.
Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Tune into Lotus Radio, Nourishing Life with Jane Dabu. Every week for everything you need to take personal responsibility in your quest for optimal health. We'll discuss topics pertaining to alternative medicine, as well as answer your questions about diseases, health, mental, and emotional conditions, and spirituality. Our guest experts include researchers, medical professionals, and advocates. Lotus Radio can be heard live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. And today we're talking about the breast, the development of the breast, how the lactation actually occurs in different stages and phases. And I just got through talking about really the after the milk quote comes in. I know some people don't like that term and how those changes occur. And then I ended up by talking about how you can have fertility suppressed through lactational amenorrhea. And I gave the three criteria for lactational amenorrhea to work. And I referred everybody to a show that I did with Dr. Miriam Labak, who is one of the foremost authorities on uh, lactational amenorrhea, certainly here in the U.S. and probably in the world. I believe that that show aired in September of 2013, if you're looking for more information. I also wanted to say that I talked about milk volume and how it's greater in the morning, and that is true. I agree with myself on that. But I did not mention to you that in the evening, you may have lesser volume, but the milk is more fatty and more caloric. 
I don't know how the original designer of milk had this figured out, but at least in my mind, it seems to me that what that does is helps the baby to be able to have more food on board as you go towards the nighttime hours. Now, I also want to mention something about Dr. Niles Newton, who was a psychiatrist, and her husband, Dr. Michael Newton, who I believe was an obstetrician. And they point out, a. and by the way, I have got, I believe, every article that that couple ever wrote about breastfeeding, and they are excellent reads. This couple wrote mostly during the 1950s. Uh, some of it's kind of kind of hard reading, but there's a couple of pieces that I really want you to understand here. A Newton and Newton point out that, and I quote, the survival of the human race long before the concept of duty evolved depended on the satisfactions gained from two voluntary acts of reproduction, coitus and breastfeeding. These had to be sufficiently pleasurable to ensure their frequent occurrence. There are multiple physical and psychological responses that occur during lactation that also occur during coitus. And again, that was a wonderful article that was written by Dr. Niles Newton. And all that she said, the, the, the parallels that she drew, really quite fascinating. There are multiple physical and psychological responses that occur during lactation that also occur during coitus. And there are multiple physical as well as psychological responses experienced during sexual excitement that have similarities to those that occur during the act of giving birth. Now, these responses, if you look at Dr. Niles Newton's work, she will tell you that these responses can be explained by the fact that the same hormones, including estrogen, progesterone, oxytocin, and prolactin, that those same hormones are involved in the menstrual cycle, sexual intercourse, pregnancy, birth and lactation. So, that's about as much as I'm going to say about the breast development, lactogenesis 1, lactogenesis 2, lactogenesis and, and lactation, and then I'm going to just uh, clean up with involution. Now, involution occurs when and I'm quoting Dr. Neville here, she says well, involution occurs when regular extraction of milk from the gland ceases, or in many, but not all species, when prolactin is withdrawn. Lactation can therefore continue indefinitely as long as the breast is suckled. And conversely, when the baby doesn't suckle anymore, the mammary glands involute. They go back to, yeah, sort of more or less their pre-pregnant state, not really, but sort of. And about lactation worldwide, you will see, as you look around the world, that most women do not stop lactating nearly as early as American women do. And again, I would refer you there to some experts. The one that comes to my mind would be Dr. Catherine Detweiler. She's done a lot of work on that. 
But just know that we're not supposed to just quit breastfeeding in a few days, a few weeks, or even a few months. In some cultures, women will... Uh, continue to lactate long past menopause and they continue to suckle infants uh, and often more than one infant or one child. You may have called these women wet nurses, but that's what it's all about. So when weaning does occur, the breast begins a post-involution period somewhat like the uterus uh, involutes after it has performed its intended function. I hope that these kinds of things have been helpful. I hope that I've tried to help you to walk through how it happens, when it happens, what it feels like when it happens. And, of course, I had more prepared on this. I'm just going to quick look at my, my notes here to see. Oh, yeah, I did want to mention, many people ask me this, Marie, do I have an extra nipple? Is it possible? I, yes, it's possible you have an extra nipple. Marie, will you look at this thing? Do you think this is an extra nipple? It certainly could be. If you see the extra nipple, what you should remember is that that happened during your phase of embryogenesis. When you were a teeny weeny little bunch of cells or a fetus inside of your own mother's body. And some people will say, oh, when my baby was born, his nipples were kind of swollen. And well, it's usually a little baby girl, but it can be either one. And do you think that is related to uh, the breastfeeding and, and birth process? The answer is uh, more of the birth process, but yes, indeed so. Uh, actually, I'm not sure I want to say more on that. It certainly can be, I believe, either one. Okay, then. Before you go today, I would like to invite you to join me where I'm going to be very soon. I will be giving courses, both a comprehensive lactation course in several different cities this spring as well as this fall. And I'll, I'm going to give you the, uh, uh, <laughs> the phone number to my office. We can help you with that if you're interested in taking either a review course or a comprehensive lactation course. The review courses will be running this spring in several different locations. The comprehensive courses will be offered this spring as well as this fall. Here's the number for my office. It's 703. 703- 787-9894. If you'd like to ask me a question as related to the radio show, please email me. Here's the uh, address for the radio show. It's radio at borntobebreastfed.com. I will repeat that. Send your questions that you'd like on the radio to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Meanwhile, visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up next week. And if you're interested in professional or continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometime in your city. Again, I'm Marie Biancuzzo. Thank you so much for joining me at Born to be Breastfed. We will be back Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, just remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. 
6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do what's best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 